Good morning. It's Thursday, July 2nd, 2015, from a super warm Pacific Northwest. My name is Chris, and this is Tech Talk Today, episode 192. Ah, boy, I didn't realize this, but we're just getting pretty close to 200, aren't we? There's a lot of stories we need to get into, and I know a lot of you in our audience are cord cutters, so this first one might apply to you. So let's bring in the mumble room so we can discuss it. Time of Probe's greetings there, mumble room. Hello. Hello. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me today, and thanks to some of you who are here for the first time this morning. So I know a lot of you are familiar with Plex. You might even be using Plex. You might have heard about the forum hack that happened that's coming out this morning. It actually came out late last night. I saw this one. I was like, oh, <laughs> well, here's going to be my first story tomorrow morning. It appears that the Plex.tv user forums were hacked. In fact, a Plex uh, staff member commented in, in a story saying, we're investigating the forms machine was definitely compromised, likely via a PHP vulnerability. Or, I'm sorry, a PHP or slash IPB vulnerability. We have no reason to believe that any other parts of our infrastructure were compromised. They, came, they followed up on a blog post saying credit card stuff for Plex Pass members have not been compromised, things like that. But they could have your password if you had a Plex form, or, uh, I'm sorry, a Plex form account. So this is a major bummer. Um, so if you had one, you need to go change it, and uh, uh, it's probably a good fair amount of you. I guess Plex is sending out emails saying if you've been affected or not. Has anybody in the mumble room received one of these uh, security notice emails from Plex? Anybody check their email today? Because <laughs> it's probably in there if you have if you have a Plex form account. And so what Plex has said is, and I don't know if I, you know, I don't do this. But what they said is if you haven't gotten the email, you probably don't need to worry. Just go change your passwords. Go change your passwords because who really knows how they had it set up and you might have been using the same password for the form that you're using for your main Plex account. So just go change your password. But it's kind of a bummer because, you know, it feels like every week there's something that one of us or that some of us use that gets breached. Um, last pass was last week. This week it's Plex. This is just going to be the way it is. This is why you have to have a password manager, be it LastPass or KeyPass or, or, or whatever. This is not going to stop. And, you know, what you have to realize is that all of these individual companies, in the, for the most part, a lot of them have rolled their own solutions on password management and storing these things or how they manage their infrastructure. There's no standard approach to this necessarily. So there's a lot of deviations, a lot of ways to, to break these things. This is just going to keep happening. Anybody in the mumble room have any thoughts on, on this particular issue of this just keeps happening week by week? Is it becoming the impossible problem? What do you guys think? William, what do you think? I don't know. William, are you a Plex user? I think user? it is going to be a problem in the future. I, don't, I, I think these people will eventually wise up and hopefully lock down their security practices. And yeah. it won't be too big a deal for the companies that were already affected. But I think you'll continue to see companies that haven't really thought about security first. Well, here's what I was wondering if you were going to say. This is my test. Is I was wondering if you were going to say, well, the only answer is don't use these services. Install your own stuff. Don't use Plex. Use Kodi. Don't use LastPass. Use KeePass. Don't use Dropbox. Use OwnCloud. I was wondering, is that, is that, your, is that an answer? Is that a reasonable answer That's to this? That's not necessarily the right answer, though, because it's possible that you don't necessarily have your security practices you know, in place <laughs> that well either on your own box. That's right? true, like, right? If you run your own mail server, you have to secure that shit. But if you rely on Google... Then they're doing that's all their full time job for you, and that's their full time job, and that's what they're good at. Yeah. So you know you have a trade off, right? So you got to figure out, you know, is it worth storing it there where they may be sending it to the government because you know the government requested something and they have to comply with that, or are you okay, you know, hosting it yourself and dealing with all the security issues and spam and whatever else you may face? Well, and I'll tell you, last so night you it's not just security. <clears throat> it's not just security. Last night we had a devastating, devastating 
devastating failure of OwnCloud that decimated the Unfiltered show. Two weeks of awesome clips by producer Matt and, and myself, collected, organized, sorted, tagged, noted, all lost. Everything was lost last night because of uh, uh, what happened was is I think there was two file move operations and OwnCloud considered them you know deletes and then and then copies or I don't know exactly what happened but everything got deleted and it was only through some backups that were kind of old but bad but there that, and then using Dropbox that we were able to recover uh, and so. What I what what I took away from that moment last night is it it literally happened to me five minutes before I was going to go on air to record our supporter show last night. So at five twenty five p.m., I lost all of the clips, and I was going to go on the air at five thirty. It is yep. literally the worst possible case ever, and it wasn't just off my computer in the studio. It deleted them off everybody's machines, producer Matt's machines, everything. They were all wiped out. I was, I was, I was. Seriously devastated for for about twenty minutes. Like I was like, oh my god, because we didn't have a show the week prior, and so much has happened. You know, the Supreme Court decision had happened, the IRS data breach, and our I mean, IRS email uh, recoveries, the OPM data breach. Up, I mean, so many things had happened that we had so many great clips on, all lost. And right. what I realize is, boy, at this moment, five minutes before I go on air, I sure don't have time to be the person that's also fixing this. But that had to be me. I had to leave the right. studio. I had to go sit down at my desk. I had to go log into the own cloud server. I had to go start recovering files. I had to go through. I basically had to wait until 6.05 before I had to wait 35 minutes before I could go on air because I had to go become the IT guy and manage my open source implementation, my open source solution of own cloud. Uh, and I just felt like, okay, so there's, here's a cost to this that, uh, yeah, Dropbox could get hacked. Yes, Condoleezza Rice sits on the board of Dropbox. But making, like, file operations... And move operations work and sync across machines. That's what Dropbox does all day long, all day. That's what they focus their client on. That's I mean, that's that's what they invest their time in. That's not what I I don't I don't invest my time in managing the storage properly. I don't invest my time in updating every single own cloud up release. I usually wait a few weeks and all this garbage. Like that's just not where I'm at with this. And I I dramatically paid the price last night for it. And so you're right, William. You're right. Now, Mr. Fox, I wanted to give you a chance. What do you have to say? I think until there are laws passed that hold these companies accountable for their security flaws, I mean, I don't know how they could exactly because it's such a bride, or such a wide topic, but there's a lot of lax policies, I think, going on. And the political structure, at least in the United States, is giving them a lot of freedom. Yeah, uh, boy, that is a slippery slope, huh? Because, you know, there's software developed outside and of uh, the U.S. and all of that. And. You know, like there can be there can be flaws that make your product vulnerable. Like, for example, Heartbleed could make something like the Plex forms vulnerable at at no at no fault of their own. But yet, you get that into court and then expect the 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 the, the jury and the judge to sort that out. Ooh, 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 boy, boy, that sounds like that would be a mess. And there's an interesting aspect to this Plex form hack that we haven't mentioned too. Is in this Reddit post here, this guy says, "I have given them until the third—that's tomorrow of this month—to send 9.5 Bitcoin to the redacted uh, Bitcoin address here that I repulled it, uh, or he'll release all of the data. If no Bitcoin payment is made, the ransom goes up by five Bitcoin. Huh? So uh, yep. that yeah yeah. So there's that there's that element to this uh, hack as well. Uh, Nux, you wanted to jump in. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh- there, there is also the thing of having the control over your system. Say, if you're if you're on Google's Mail and something goes wrong, sure, it's Google's problem, and 
it's also your problem, but it's their job to fix it. However, if you need to be doing something, then it's going to take them a lot longer than it's going to take you. Like, for example, if you if your files have been on Drive, for example, and it went down, you couldn't have taken that 35 minutes to go recover it yourself mm -hmm. because you don't mm -hmm. have that. So mm -hmm. there's right. also mm -hmm. that something to think but about. The reality with Google, actually, which is interesting, is that in a lot of cases, these are ad-serving services. And so for them, it's a loss of money if it's down. And so it's critically important that they get it back up. And honestly, I would be pretty impressed if they could not get it up before you got your home server back up and running. Yeah, just I, in most cases. It gets, That's just how I feel about I, I them. I agree I mean, for, it's not for true like... Of all companies. It's not true of all companies necessarily, yeah. but I think yeah. there are certain incentives there. I agree for, for server, right away. for service availability and, and stability yeah. and security. That's the case. I think where it gets off into the weeds and maybe you're better off on your own when it literally comes down to like individual, I need this thing tweaked or I need this file restored or I need this specific thing about the service changed a little bit. And that's kind of where you go off the rails with a Google service. And uh, and I think this point should be probably well made, too. Uh, Tech Helper, you want to make a point about backups before we drift too far away. Go ahead. And, uh, you can chime in with, with the backups comment, because you're right. Did you? <laughs> well, uh, this so the last time, this is actually the second time OwnCloud has done this to us. The last time I had a backup, and I recovered, and the only thing we had to do was we had to just wait for OwnCloud to sync everything up and then down to all the machines. This time around, producer Matt had a backup, but because we with with the show like Unfilter, you know, you work right up until the deadline, and so you can take backups. But you know, his backup was like an hour old, maybe two hours old, I think, and so maybe three hours old, somewhere in that range. But you know, that's a pretty current backup. But it was two to three hours old, and that was enough where we had lost so much work and all of the uh, all of the organization that was for the, the final short, the final show layout organization. Uh, so you know. Lesson learned on that one. Um, yeah, there you go. Just in time for T says you can do it on ZFS. Maybe that'll do it. I like I that. Don't know. I, I, copy on write backups. Mm -hmm. I think it's also worth mentioning that you know when you run it yourself, you also, in most cases, are running your own hardware. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could be putting it on some, you know, VPS. Or yeah, I had, I had it on a droplet, but then we have it on machine server too. Manages. Yeah, but if when you run your own hardware, you have to account for the fact that things can fail and that could cost money when they do fail. So that's also something you should always be keeping in mind. And high availability, yeah. maybe, on uh, your own end. Yeah. I'm always bad. I, I can <clears throat> I can schedule the time to do a project and get it installed and in production, but I never have I never I never schedule that thing time after that to revisit it really or for it to fail. Yeah. So when it when something fails, I sometimes don't address it for if I can, you know, because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't schedule for that. Like, so yeah, that's another thing about hosting it yourself. Uh, I want to shift gears. Well, speaking about Bitcoin, this guy was asking for Bitcoin ransom. The 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 Silk Road case is extremely fascinating. If you want to get an amazingly, amazingly tasty and juicy insight into how corrupt some of this stuff is, uh, there is a couple of things. Go uh, so. If, uh, there is an interview with Ross Albrecht or uh, uh, Red Pirate Roberts' mom on YouTube right now. Go search for uh, Silk Road and Filter by the last week and watch that. There is an um, there is an amazing amount of political connections high, high, high up in the U.S. government to this case. Didn't even know it. Very fascinating video. If you're curious about that, go watch this. Here's the part I want to talk about today. So Silk Road was this online marketplace where you could buy uh, drugs using Bitcoin. And for times you could buy other things, but basically it came down to drugs. And uh, it turns out that uh, there was quite a bit of corruption in the forces that were 
going after the Silk Road guy, like side money, side deals, taking money. Uh, so Carl Mark Force, the head of the uh, Baltimore-based team of law enforcement that investigated Silk Road during the trafficking, you know, the trafficking website, he's pled guilty. The guy that was the the guy that held up the team. He's pled guilty to extortion, money laundering, and obstruction of justice. Standing before the U.S. District Judge Richard Seaborg in an orange inmate jumpsuit, Force admitted that he stole from Silk Road and its founder, Ross Albrecht, even as he was investigating the website himself. He's not the only one. This is a fascinating... So basically, these guys in the FBI and these police forces started investigating it and realized, holy shit, this is a good deal. This is a lot of money that can't be traced... And it's all anonymous. Like, they, it was too good for them to turn down. Uh, and it goes in here about some of the accounts and how much money these guys made uh, and some of the conflicts they got in. It is it's, – it's interesting to see basically the good guys went in to go bust the bad guys and became bad guys because the deal was too good to pass up. It's a fascinating story. And the Silk Road stuff, if, you, if you're curious, even if you don't follow Bitcoin, hmm, it's been a good read. Uh, I, I don't know what to make of this story. Is David Cameron one of the uh, dumbest leaders uh, we've ever had, or what? So he says he's going to try and ban encryption in Britain. Yeah, he's, David, David Cameron has signaled that he intends to ban strong encryption, putting the British government on collision course with the biggest tech companies in the world. It's being reported by politics.co.uk that the British Prime Minister has reaffirmed today his commitment to tackling strong encryption products in Parliament in response to a question posed to him on Monday. <sighs> I, I just why are why are they on such a rampage against encryption? What is it that because all they can do is all the best they can do is coerce the big commercial companies to modify their products to include a backdoor. So Skype, maybe things like Teamspeak, MMOs that have voice chat that are big, you know, you know, Snapchat, all these things. They're going to be able to get backdoors into that. Maybe even things like Telegram. Who knows? They're going to have to rearchitect. But they'll never get it backdoors into things like mumble or uh, you know, SIP calling that's set up between machines or uh, whatever. The, I mean, Google, yes. But whatever is anything that's, anything that's really sort of open source or set up yourself. I mean, there's no reason. It, it, okay. If we have been led to believe that there is an ISIS cyber army that hacks websites in the name of the Islamic State... If we, this is what we're told, and that they have a massive Twitter presence. And if you don't watch Unfiltering, maybe you don't know this, but we are told that uh, it, we are right. The 4th of July weekend is, is the biggest threat since 9-11 because ISIS is recruiting people online using these tools, and they have this protection, and they're using things like Twitter. Okay, so if they're savvy enough to hack websites and use Twitter, are you telling me that they are not savvy enough to go to DigitalOcean.com and set up a droplet in 55 seconds? And install some communication software on there and be completely off the grid? I don't understand the logic. The only thing you could be gaining is mass surveillance of the general public that don't know any better or are completely uninformed or don't care. If anybody cares, if anybody is motivated to be off the grid, the tools are so readily available that they will never have the jurisdiction over to bug that they'll just use those tools. I, I cannot honestly fathom how this would actually accomplish anything but give surveillance over the general public. I can't really – unless you just want to catch the world's dumbest, laziest terrorist. Can anybody Maybe. give me a counterargument? I mean, I think if you're looking at this in a goal-driven way, you know, as one of these government bodies, it seems reasonable to ban encryption and then, you know, force all the corporate entities that operate within your country to comply. 
because that gives you a lot of coverage in terms of the population. And so I think that looks good, right? Like, I can say 98% of all people are going through this, and therefore we can monitor 98% of all communications, and that percentage looks good, right? It looks like you can now filter for terrorism. I guess from, like, a covering your bases and, uh, like, a CYA kind of a thing, yeah, it makes sense I, there. I don't know. I, I think it makes sense if you are, like, checking off a checklist and, like, looking at things from a percentage of coverage type basis. So it depends, I guess, on how you're looking at tackling the problem. But that's a, that's a false metric to measure because you're just measuring all of the above-board standard mainstream communication yeah. methods and none of the actual methods that real terrorist groups would employ. Right, I, I, and I guess that's why I'm curious. Like, I have no idea what they're actually doing here, but it sounds like that's kind of the approach they would be taking and how they would be looking at the problem mm-hmm. and how they would be measuring their success. Yeah, I guess I can see it from that standpoint. It just doesn't seem very useful. No, it doesn't. And well, I, but you also have to surveil them, right? Like, if you go after all these small, off-the-grid type encryption techniques and you don't go after big things like, you know, Skype and Twitter and Facebook chat and stuff and whatever then you're missing a whole bunch of people who could possibly be doing those things over mainstream communication media. It seems more like what you get is you get a bunch of data you could blackmail people with, because dick pics and stuff like that. And, True. And, right? Because that seems like what you actually end up with. That's what they've ended up with so far when they monitored uh, the Yahoo webcams. I, so I, I, I think the long-term damage I'm more worried about, maybe, and this could be Chris stretching here, but what I kind of worry about is going down a path where we associate encryption with bad guys. Encryption is for bad guys. If, you don't, if you're not a bad guy, you don't need encryption. And that is so counter to the overall cultural trend at post-Snowden, where people are way more curious about encryption, people are way more concerned. I have people that are, uh, that are just average users that they saw me using Telegram, and they switched over to Telegram because they understand there's this NSA out there that's watching all of their text messages, and so they want to use Telegram or something else. Like... It's there is at least a more a general awareness and perhaps a trend like you can see Apple jumping on this saying we're the privacy company we we, we don't we don't monitor you look at Google there's they're scroogled uh, you know like you can see how there's this sort of bubbling up trend going this direction and meanwhile Obama and Cameron and other leaders and like the uh, like commie at the FBI they're out there saying no more encryption ban encryption we can't do it and it's like they're trying to push against this general populace uh, uh, consensus and it, it if, and and their reason for it to me doesn't hold up to analysis and, and and if I'm some podcaster in Arlington Washington that can just come to that to that rationale then how come anybody else can't just think about it for a second and stop these people. And, and why anybody, anybody listening doesn't I, – I just – to me, it seems so obvious on its face that are we all just going, well, OK, OK, Mr. Cameron, whatever you think is best, or we, do, do we just not care? I just can't keep it straight. I'm not sure anymore. Or I, I'm, so what's kind of interesting is if they do ban encryption, they do sort of um, serve their goal of being able to find certain traffic that is used only by terrorists or at least right. limit the amount of traffic they have to monitor closely. Because right. in theory, if you ban encryption, the terrorists or whoever you're targeting are the only ones criminal, left using encryption. What be it, are not going to use the plain text or whatever communication you're offering that you backdoored whatever your solution is. Right. So then you have a more limited scope you have to monitor actually, if you actually it, want to find it, these. But people. it's more insidious than that, cause, right? Because they're not they're not banning encryption at all. No. No, they're just they're just mandating backdoors. And now here's the yeah. thing about that. Here's the thing about that. Yeah, they're banning certain types of encryption, and they want backdoors and other encryption. And here's the right. thing, though. Today, and whenever this happens, we will remember that this happened for a good solid three months. And then in a year or two, it will fade. And a year or five or ten down the road, we're not going to remember it at all. We're, 
we didn't – before the Snowden Leagues, it came out years before the Snowden Leagues that they were wiretapping and, and doing bulk collection of metadata. And we forgot about it. And then the Snowden Leaks came out, and we all, oh, we all thought it was a big revelation again. It wasn't a big revelation. Look up William Bly- Bly- Blimey. He came out years before Snowden, right? So here's, the, here's my point. It's almost more insidious. Like AT&T fiber cuts in SF or what, whatnot? I think it's more insidious because we kind of forget it happens, and then you just assume these things are, are safe. See, if they banned encryption outright, then you would know it was unencrypted. But because they are allowing encryption, but they just want back doors over time, I think as the public, we just kind of forget. We just kind of forget about that Maybe. kind of stuff. Speaking of secure communications, I like Telegram. I don't know if it's perfect. There's lots of solutions out there, and I'm not married to it. But it's worked pretty well for the Jupiter Broadcasting team, and uh, they've introduced bots. I think Telegram's a nice cross-platform communications. They've got a web chat. They've got Android. They have uh, all, well, they have all the they have all the mobile apps. Uh, they even have one for Ubuntu Touch, and they have a Linux desktop app, and uh, it supports file transfers and picture transfers and voice notes and all this junk. And one of the things they've recently introduced is bots. Bots are special Telegram accounts designed to handle messages automatically. Unlike in this, users can interact with bots by sending the command messages in private or group chats. So we could, like as Jupiter Broadcasting, we have a production chat, and we could have a production bot in there, which is kind of neat. Uh, you can create custom tools. Uh, you basically do anything. Integrate with other services. A bot could potentially post comments remotely or control a smart home. Oh, man. Oh, man. Rika, think about what we could do with that, with the Hughes lights. Uh, so I just wanted to pass this along because I think this is kind of a neat neat deal. Uh, they, have a, they have a bot father. It's a bot you can talk to <laughs> to find out more. And they have an API available as well. And uh, I think it's kind of neat. I was, I was just checking it out. You can do, like, you can do cool custom keyboards and stuff. Uh, so, like, the bot API, can you can call up, call up a custom keyboard whenever you need to send a bot a message. You can have, like, nice, cool preset command buttons for the bot so you don't have to have people that know all the bot commands, which is really nice for a, for a, uh, for a group chat system. Anyways, I think Telegram's really cool. And so, in, the, in speaking of encryption and all that jazz, you might want to check it out. They have a cool, nice uh, off-the-record that's kind of like a, a self-destructing messaging system, too, that does end-to-end encryption. It encrypts on each uh, mobile client, which is nice. There's no, and so there's no server component to that one at all. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if we, any of us care much. Oh, any thoughts? I could, any, before we move? Once? Uh, I guess I'm not that convinced about the security of it, but I don't use it for that. It's totally for convenience. Like, yeah, I'm not that yeah. worried about the messages being insecure. Like, I would treat it as something that, uh, I, I've seen some security audits that weren't so nice yep, to it. yep. But for the most part, that's not really what I'm using it for, so I'm not terribly concerned. It's just ultra convenient and fast. They do continually and ask so people to in that sense is fine. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how I feel about it. They do continue to um, invite people, like with some bounties and stuff, to bang on it. So I assume people are 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 are, are doing that. Um, but uh, who knows? And uh, you're right. How how can you ever know if any of these systems that aren't fully top to bottom open source, although components of it are right? Open source. Well, the entire API is open, so you can actually see all the communication. Like, you can understand how communication works. You mm-hmm. can implement your own, and all the clients are open. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if you assume that the server is, you know, stealing all your data, um, and you build that component in, then you should be fine. And I believe you should be pretty resilient to that kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, as long as you're not running the server, you can't ever really know what they're doing anyway, even if that was an open source component. It's mm-hmm. still just a black box to mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as long as you treat it that way, yeah. then you yeah. should be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, that's a great – that's a great – that's a very rational approach to it. That's exactly my approach to it is I don't expect it to uh, keep all of my secrets, but I have a reasonable expectation that it's secure. 
I mean, it would be no different than, you know, how you treat your IRC server to some extent and, like, sending messages to, you know, certain people over that. Mm-hmm. Probably they can still be logging all the, the only thing that would make me feel better is if I was using encryption and my own XMPP server. Um, but the reality is, is what Telegram brings to the table that XMPP doesn't, besides really good clients, is it, it handles remarkably well, and not all messaging platforms do this, but this gotten way better, is uh, when we're in tight connectivity situations where we're dropping and connecting, mm-hmm. dropping and connecting, um, like IRC and a lot of uh, roll-your-own XMPP solutions don't handle that so well. And that turns out when you're at a conference is you can be in that, you could be in that situation for three or four days. And so yeah. it, it's like you got to have a system that works with that. It's very good at aggressively making sure it has a communication channel, yeah. and that's always super nice. <laughs> yeah, it is. And and actually, it's nice to have the online status, too, because uh, uh, yeah. That, yeah, that lets you know if somebody's been able to get connectivity or not. And the fact that they have a Linux desktop client that has in- inline picture messaging support, even though they re- it's their own bastardized version of Qt, it's still very nice. And the bots are pretty cool because you can invite them into your own room. It's not like IRC where they kind of have to be there already. Oh, I yeah. mean, there are ways to message them and invite them, but mm-hmm. in this case, it's like built in. Mm-hmm. You just invite it as if it's a normal user. And so they all just join in. I like that. Telegram's good and cool. I, I, I guess, too, they've worked on, uh, like, voice calling support, but they haven't fully implemented it yet. They've, they've decided to focus on other features for now, which is fine. That works, too. Uh, yeah. I, I just wanted to cover this interesting story. I, I'm not sure what the audience at large at Jupiter Broadcasting thinks, but uh, I wanted to see what you guys thought maybe outside of the Code Radio program. Uh, Apple's Swift seems to be creeping up in some surveys. A new pro- the new programming survey, language survey, shows that Apple Swift has broken into the top 20. For the first time, well, the uh, get ready for this one. Future of Microsoft's VB is it to- now in the top rankings is unclear. Wow. The Red Monk consultant published a six-month analysis based on GitHub usage and Stack Overflow discussions. That's with their analysis. The methodology is imperfect, but a reasonable approach, the register thinks, to assessing the language trends, since these communities are both important and vendor-neutral. JavaScript is topped by a narrow margin, followed by Java, then PHP, Python, C Sharp, C++, and Ruby. Swift now in the top 20, though. Hmm. I don't know. Anybody looked at it in the mumble room? It's, open, it's not open source yet, is it? No, not yet. That's probably why. That's what we'll wait to see. No. Even if it is open source, how integrated is it with, you know, the OS ten frameworks that are not easily ported to other places, right? Like, if That's, it's completely yeah. tied to Cocoa or something or whatever their framework is. I think it is. is I think it is. Like iOS, I don't know. Is it Cocoa and iOS? Oh, I don't know. I, but I think it's totally tied to – well, I know it's totally yeah, tied to all know. of their libraries for Swift. And all of, their, all of the libraries for Swift are all dependent on all of the core stuff that iOS and OS ten have. I don't know how it's going to work under Linux. Badly. I'm sure the core language will work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll be able to listen to remote connections. without a nice standard library that they've already implemented only on OS X? They're going to have a standard not. library available for Linux, but I just don't know what it'll be able to do. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, how complete will the standard library be? And that's mm-hmm. kind of important for a language to succeed. Yeah, yeah. It, is, it is interesting to see it already in the top 20, though, I guess, by one analysis. Uh, there is a rumor this week that hasn't died. Um, I decided to run it today because I've now seen it reported by three different news outlets. I don't know if it's true. Because it's it's been so slow to take on, I'm suspecting it's not. There's not a lot of smoke to this one. But our IRC chat room has been talking about it all week, so I'm going to go ahead and put it in the log. Uh, Microsoft is interested in purchasing AMD, according to the rumor mill. Uh, now, there's a couple of different places this has come from, but Kitsguru has suggested that Microsoft may be eyeing AMD as a potential acquisition. Now, here's the here's – the, well, check this out. The details of the acquisition are obviously unknown because this is a pretty big rumor at this point. Uh, but the report – Suggest Microsoft's got 95 billion in cash and AMD's only worth 1.81 billion. 
So clearly, Microsoft could make a make a purchase for them in cash. Isn't that amazing? AMD is only worth slightly more than what uh, Facebook paid for Instagram. AMD. Yep. AMD. AMD. Instagram. Wow. Do you think this is true? You think Microsoft's going to well, buy this? Well, they sold off all their fabs, right? They're fa- aren't they fabless now? So yeah. They, turned, they split off Global Foundry, so they don't have that many uh, real assets, do they, anymore? This doesn't smell right to so me, So I'm though. not completely surprised. I don't think so. I don't think this is going to happen, though. Why would Microsoft do this? Oh, I don't know. I mean, so Microsoft has Azure, right? And they want to build chips for servers, possibly. They could do all their own custom chip making if they had AMD facilities. I don't know mm. why they would want all the components of AMD, though. I would mm. think they would try and do the Azure-focused stuff or maybe mobile-focused stuff well, and okay. not necessarily take, like, their graphics division. Hmm. I hadn't but really thought again, about they have Azure. the console, right? They have the console. Yeah. So maybe they want all of those divisions. They could split it up, know. right? They could split it up. So they could split up the graphics stuff. You know, if they wanted to build some serious GPU compute clusters for Azure... I can see that maybe, and then you so you have there's there so there is an Azure draw there, and then obviously there's benefits to the Xbox team from the AMD purchase, plus all of AMD's patents. The question and, is the the question is if you buy AMD, do you get the x86 license that Intel's grant on that? I don't know if you would actually get that. I don't know if it transfers oh, when the company question. is bought out because I know there are some weird restrictions around that grant to use the x86. Yeah, yeah. ISA. Huh. Ooh, that's a titillating question, isn't it? I, I bet they wouldn't, but you never know. I, I, uh, boy, I'm like not. Well, not, I mean, if Intel wants to remain non-monopolistic, they might have to. I would think though that would make them worth a billion more. I think that would make them worth a billion right there. I just I'm I'm blown away that they're worth almost as as much as Instagram. And 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 would Microsoft actually make this purchase? So uh, I don't know. Microsoft feels still feels like they're. Like, they're still reforming. Sache just did another reorg that basically undid the reorg that Bomber did and just restated the mission of the company again. It just laid off a bunch of people from the Nokia acquisition, including Elop. Yeah. Wow. So I would not be surprised if any one of the big cloud players wanted to buy a company like AMD so that they could produce their own ships in their own ways yeah, for yeah, themselves. Yeah, I didn't think about it in, that in terms of Azure. At all. I was thinking and, Xbox. And Microsoft does have a lot of diversity in terms of different platforms that would actually make mm-hmm. a lot of sense for them to have something like AMD in their tool set uh, you and could, to be able to make you know x86 chips in those sorts or, of things. Or, you know, uh, I mean, there's even, some, there's even some ways they could apply, I'm sure, some of AMD's technology to the Surface line. Yeah. Any, any of those things. The more we talk about it, the less crazy it seems. Yeah. Huh. Well, we'll see next week if this uh, picks up any, uh, any uh, steam. I want to give a mention uh, for uh, the uh, Open Tech Conference. Remember, we talked about this before. It was uh, Corky and Popey who brought it to our attention, and uh, they now have the videos posted from Open Tech 2015, and I'll have a link in the show notes, but you can go to opentech.org.uk to, uh, to find it there. Cool. I'm glad they got those up. It's it's really uh, every time I go to these fests, I'm like, oh man, I wish I, if Jupiter Broadcasting had a huge ass staff or I had editors that were just sitting around, I would I would lend our services to these conferences and be like, let us record the video and post it. We'll get it up the same day as the conference. Let us do that for you, please. So I'm glad they got it up fairly fast because sometimes, like in the case of self, you got to wait around a year to get it. So good job, Corky. Nice to have that up there. OpenTech.org.uk slash 2015 slash schedule and uh i'll mention uh our our favorite little website patreon.com slash today why because 553 of you are keeping us going this is where we invest in the future of the jupiter broadcasting network and also how we cover uh, see a few costs that come up from time to time you know there is things that come up 
And I got to mention, there is a video that was posted a couple of days last Friday. And uh, if you haven't watched it yet, it's available to our patrons. And all of the past videos are also available to our patrons. There is some uh, some interesting changes coming up that I'll, you know what I'll probably make a video about. I might make a video about the own cloud stuff and our final solution once all that's done. I it's tight. Uh, if I I don't know I might I might end up taking a day or two off from the show next week so I can do videos for the patrons. It's a weird like this is kind of the time I would do that. So I'm not sure what I'll do. I'll look at the schedule next week. We'll figure it out. But from time to time, I try to get some exclusives up there for those of you who go a little bit extra further, who really appreciate our work and decide to support us. I try to do something extra for you from time to time, and I post it there on those feeds. Uh, Patreon.com slash today. Now, I just mentioned we might have some schedule changes depending on what I decide to do for next week. Uh, here's how you stay current on all of that. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar, and we update that as frequently as possible. It will also it automatically converts the live times to your local time zone. techtalktoday.reddit.com to get some input into the show to make it even better. And tomorrow on the show, Mr. Chase will be joining us in studio if all goes as planned. And uh, I would love to have you here either in our chat room or our mumble room. It's always great to see some new faces in there. Just go to jblive.tv, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. And when you're in that embedded chat room, you do bang mumble. gives you the mumble address. Then you just plug that into the free mumble client. It's an open source client. It's great. And uh, once you get in there, they're just going to do a mic check to make sure your mic actually works. And then if it does, you get in there and you get to make comments on the story. There's no gatekeeper. You get to get your opinion right out there. And uh, why do we do that? Because so far, you guys always seem to be pretty damn smart. And I suppose we could always ban your ass if you weren't, but it hasn't been a problem yet. So jblive.tv if you want to join us. Oh, you can also email me, techtalktoday at jupiterbroadcasting.com. But it's probably better in the subreddit. You'll get my attention. we got another Y2K video to wrap up. It's been the Y2K week for some reason. It started as a discussion on the pre-show on Tuesday, and it's just kept momentum all week. Yesterday, we did marketing and sort of taking the advantage of the market demand for Y2K products. This week, though... This week I love this one because it's like uh, it's like taking like sort of it's almost it's almost borderline racist and also playing on our fears of Y2K, bringing it all together in some great marketing. This is nothing like commercialism at its best. Enjoy this one. See you back here tomorrow. Thanks for joining me today. Actually, I prefer Millennium Bug. That bug will wreak havoc on anything that uses a computer. The stock market will crash. Power grids will fail. Captain Major, call Godzilla. You're right, Pete. He's the only one who can help. What the? Captain Major, what's happening? I don't know. Carl, did you remember to update the embedded microchips?